Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, back from a root canal, and Brian Scott Rippey. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. at Ceasefire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every single day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. What is up? Beautiful Friday. The weekend forecast looks fantastic. And I am more optimistic than I have been at any point leading up and you know going back to March that we are not only playing college football, but we are playing college football on Labor Day weekend, and I think we're going to have fans in the stands when that happens. What's up, boys? I tend to agree with your sentiment, especially because, and full disclosure, I know it was on our airwaves, I did not listen to a single second of the press conference today. However, uh, I did see on ABC News last night that of the 21 states that ease restrictions on May 4th or sooner, Either batting a thousand, right? Batting a thousand. So for all 21 of those states, there was no major increase in hospitalizations, deaths, or percentage positive in any of the 21 states. That is phenomenal news. And yes, to your point, more optimism for football starting on time. Mr. Haydad, how was the old root canal yesterday? You know, a funny thing happened on the way to the root canal. I didn't have to have it. What? Yeah, I got up there, and uh, Dennis took a look at the x-rays and everything and said, you know, you don't really need one. We might need one in a few weeks, but right now you're still in the time frame of you should be having some sensitivity with your tooth, so why don't we give it a couple more weeks? And I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll be happy not to get that today. So I didn't I didn't have one. I, I noticed that you didn't uh, undo having a day off of work, though. Well, I mean, why not? I didn't take the day off. I'm not going to kill you all to be without me for one day. Yeah, we made it through okay. Almost killed Rippy, but that's a different story. Well, we're a team, he and I. Rippy, uh, what's your plan for the weekend? I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot of plans. Probably play golf or something. Just kind of going out on a limb there? Just a guess. Yeah, you probably should. I mean, you need all the practice you can get from what I saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, there's a difference between putting those short ones and picking them up. I can help you out with that if you need to. Did I pick up too many short ones? I don't know. 
I don't remember. It was a while ago. Yeah, I don't remember watching you uh, roll everything out either. No, but I gave it a roll. Oh, you didn't? Since since, since when are you like some serious it to the allegations of the cup guy. coming on right now? Since, since since when are you put it to the bottom of the cup guy on every hole? I go reasonable, gimme Re- reasonable. What what's reasonable? Four feet, three feet. Yeah, three. Eighteen and in. inches. Okay. Also depends yeah. on the suspect. Kind of depends on the stakes too, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that as well. <laughs> stakes I mean, of the game. Yeah. Um. So, what do we have coming up for you this afternoon? Big part of the four o'clock hour will be a, a conversation that I recorded earlier today with Keith Carter, athletics director at Ole Miss, and we uh, we covered a lot of ground. And some of what he had to say is part of the reason that uh, that I'm a little more optimistic, maybe even than than I have been. And I, I have not been pessimistic at all about the return of uh, of football. We talked about uh, name, image, likeness. And some of the uh, things related to that, uh, future construction projects at Ole Miss, ticket sales, budget issues, Mike Bianco's contract extension, his thoughts on the uh, baseball proposal to uh, push things back a week, social distancing plans, what he anticipates for the start of the college football season, and uh, and a whole lot more. So we've got that coming up for you in the uh, the 4 o'clock hour this afternoon. What about from a national standpoint, Borky? I feel like uh, every day it's it's something either NBA related or Major League Baseball related. We did have the Board of Governors call with the NBA today, and there's some proposals that are potentially being floated around out of that. Anything on the baseball front? Um, a lot of stuff on the baseball front. We'll, real quick on, on the NBA deal. So there were a few actual things that happened, and I know it's not a big NBA state, as the texter reminded us yesterday, but it's sports news, and uh, we're 80 days into it now, so we don't have a whole lot of it. Um, the likelihood of bringing all 30 teams back is next to none. That's not going to happen. Uh, most everybody favors some kind of additional game out set of games outside of just the the eight teams from the east and the eight teams from the west and you just start a playoff uh even mark cuban today said that just from a financial side that just doesn't seem appropriate either that there's got to be some additional uh, games or pool play or play in tournament so something like that is the, the most likely solution and they also gave a target date july 31st Two months away from the start, which seems, I mean, a long way away and probably too late, but we have a target date. The only way that date makes sense for me is if they are planning to start the season later next year. That is happening without a doubt. Well, it's got to be, right? Because otherwise you're telling me they're just going to take off August and September and go right back to it. I mean, I, I'm not saying, you know, it's not football, right? It's not, it's not the same amount of wear and tear on your body, but it's a lot of wear and tear. And, you know, these guys, even though they're, they're fine athletes, they need some, some time off. There's no way. There's no way you could start the season on July 31st. Right, and I, what am I saying? Take off August and September. That's the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to say you're so, playing yeah. in August and September. Yeah. So they're really going to take off maybe October and November and then get right back. There's no way. Yeah. So that, 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 that is said without saying that they're starting at Christmas. Good. That's the right thing to do. You and I both, yeah. So there is a chance that Major League Baseball begins its season on the 4th of July 
and the NBA begins its new season on Christmas Day? That yes. Mm-hmm. God bless us, I, everyone. I, yeah, I kind of like the idea of starting major sports seasons on national holidays. I'll take it, man. Anything to get away from my... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Careful there. Careful, sir. You, uh, you, you got a little guy that said that uh, Santa Claus is going to come to see you on Christmas Day. Yeah, and this year he'll actually know what's going on, so I have to do something about it. What do you mean? Like... Get him a Christmas present? It, well, we got him stuff for Christmas, but I mean, like, he'll be yes, a year Morgan, and three Getting months, him a pack so. of diapers does not count as a Christmas present. No, Those we, are things that you would buy anyway. We spoil that little runt, man. He got him, he got him a mutual fund. Our living room. I, I guess it happens to everybody, but our living room is now officially uh, just baby stuff and, like, a place to sit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, man. I got three that of them. sounds familiar. Yeah. It doesn't get better for a while, either. No. Frances has her own kitchen in our kitchen. Oh. <laughs> kitchen and it's like we, Yeah, we, we constantly are stepping on you know little miniature pots and pans and plates and forks and fruit slices and whatnot. It's like, can we put this... Wait, where are we going to put it? There's nowhere else to put it because of all the other stuff that is everywhere we go. Again, Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M-I-S-S if you are uh, interested in doing that. Um, I'm just so... don't the we, Aren't the weekends finally starting to feel like weekends again? Yeah, the days aren't running together so much. I made that observation on the way in uh, to work today that it felt like the commute again. Really, this week, for the first time since this started in early to mid-March, the drive to work felt like the drive to work I was used to. Yeah. There are people around. I mean, I got stuck in a small amount of traffic, which is really all I deal with, but it there, there was... There was not that weird feeling like you were in some kind of post-apocalyptic movie where there's nobody around. It, it felt normal again. By that same token, you know, this is the weekend that Rippy and I should be getting ready for, for regional baseball. That was what I was thinking about today. So it's not it's not fully back to More normal More than just you and Rippy yet. there, brother. Well, yeah, you know what I'm saying, though, just for this show. And you, you obviously, too, for, for the purposes of the show, but... That, that until we get into like mid June, outside of when you know maybe I would one of us would have been in Omaha, uh, it's not going to feel normal to me. Yeah. Um, we would have baseball going right now. Yeah. All over the country. You would you wouldn't be on the show today. No. Probably wouldn't have been on yesterday either. Yeah. Or next weekend. But yeah. uh, hey, a few more vacation days to uh, keep for later in the year. Sports Talk Mississippi with you just getting started on this Friday. Quick timeout. Back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Friday, 29th of May. You know, we got the news from the SEC last week that uh, June 8th was the day that uh, voluntary workouts could begin and I'm not sure that we connected the dots as well as we should have. 
So that's the day that the workouts can actually begin. And we've kind of said, oh, players coming back on campus at June 8th and have discounted the fact that the process that they've got to go through to get ready to start working out on June 8th. Most places have players coming back Monday. You guys realize that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, you're I, smarter I than to, I am. Hey, Dad. I mean, I guess I talked to uh, Mississippi State uh, Chief of Staff today, uh, Dave Emmerich, and uh, we talked about that. He said, "Yeah, they're, they're starting to come in and you know get everybody checked out and get ready to start on. Uh, I guess that's next Monday." So you didn't realize it until you talked to somebody earlier today. It's not like, oh, yeah, I've been knowing that all along. I guess I'd realize I'd just say Ben knowing. <laughs> I knew it, though. When? Like 10 minutes ago? Well, I did that interview around 9.30 this morning, so then. Okay. Few, yeah, a few hours uh, longer. But, no, I mean, I think that's an important point. People are like, oh, yeah, June 8th is when it's going to start. No, it's starting Monday. They're all coming yeah. back June 1st, which is the day the NCAA said stuff could start up again, so schools are taking advantage of that week-long lead-up time. So if you want something to be excited about, football players are coming back to campuses in the state of Mississippi and around the SEC starting Monday three days from today like enjoy your saturday enjoy your sunday they're coming back on monday they're going to go through the testing and the reacclimation and making sure everybody's healthy and ready to go and then they're going to start working out a week from monday it'll be in smaller groups um i think there was a uh, a, a tweet earlier today of some areas around the old miss football facility and weight room that was kind of showing how many people could be in specific areas and what precautions you had to take. But we're going back to work, and it's a great thing. I'm a, Borky, I'm almost giddy about this today. I mean, after, uh, you know, Haydad points out the conversation that he had. I talked with Keith Carter. We're seeing some pictures. We know players are coming back Monday. We're playing football in September, boys. Yeah. And a few weeks ago, that was very much in question. I mean, you had to put a caveat on everything, and now we don't. And it, look, I, I'm sure they wanted to have a spring, and they'd have preferred to have a spring, and all the summer workouts that come with it. But returning on Monday, and then starting really working out a week later, uh, because they're definitely not going to do any kind of working out between Monday and and June 8th. Oh no, sir! Um, plenty of time to get ready for a season, right? I mean, there, there's no question about like player safety and can they be physically ready because they missed so much time. Coming back now, that not that plenty yeah. of time for them to get ready physically to play a season safely? Absolutely. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, I mean, you get, what, five weeks or so? I mean, so, so you go the second, third, fourth weeks of June – Guys, I'm assuming, are not going home for the 4th of July. I mean, maybe they get a day off or, or whatever. And then I'm going to say somewhere around the second or third week of July, like like either the week after the 4th of July or the week after that, then they're going to be practicing. And I think we're still waiting kind of for an official word on what the relief that schools get from the NCAA is in terms of starting fall camp. But I anticipate that it's earlier than August 1st, which it has kind of traditionally been, you know, as opposed to having a month. I, my, my guess is you get probably six weeks for uh, for fall camp. 
and the you know they'll leave the the rules in place for no consecutive days of full pad practice or no two a days or you know whatever. None of that's going to go away. But Rippy, don't you think they're going to add a couple of weeks? You would think so, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. It seems like we're just kind of figuring it out as we go. Yeah. Um. All right, let's switch over to baseball for a second. We got plenty, plenty to get to this afternoon. We didn't talk a ton about Max Scherzer's comments yesterday, but there's a new layer to this baseball thing. Jeff Passan was on the Rich Eisen show today. Jeff Passan, the uh, Major League Baseball writer at ESPN. Borky has decided to start calling him Scoops Passan. He's gotten everything He's been in the news man. a lot, getting a lot of information, no doubt. And kind of the money quote from his interview with Rich Eisen was this. It's going to come down to the owners. I believe the players when they say we want to play. I do actually believe that. I think there are some owners who don't. I think there are some owners who worry that playing is going to cost them too much. They're going to lose too much money and that they would rather just punt the 2020 season. That's a scary thing to hear. And Passon went on to say that his confidence level about the season actually been playing has uh, or being played has dropped to about 50-50. What do you make of all that? My question is this. Um, why would some owners not want to play? Uh, is it quite simply that they, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there, like are, losing money. there are some teams that are going to lose money by playing. I think the Miami Marlins were one of them, that, that they're going to lose money if they play this year. So are, are some owners just simply thinking, you know, if this season doesn't happen, we don't have to pay anybody, and therefore – we won't lose that much money, so why would we play a season? Is it that simple? Just the the teams in the bottom of the league in revenue are just they, – they don't care because they're losing no matter what? Is it that simple? I wouldn't say – I mean, don't care, but probably don't – like Don't care as much? Aren't as mo- motivated, yes, to get this thing going. I, I'm I mean, going to say that they're the about – the type of offer that they threw out. Yeah. What do you think? There are about 500 people on the entire planet that $20 million doesn't matter to. Like, like if, you, if you track Jeff Bezos's fortune, I mean, he's, a, he's, he's worth $140 billion now. $20 million is like, it, it, it's nothing. Man, that, that could be interest for a day. I mean, his fortune fluctuates mostly up, but I mean, it's not crazy at all for his net worth to to fluctuate by two or three billion dollars in a day. So, to a guy like that, twenty million dollars doesn't mean a lot. But to your regular billionaire, so so Borky, if we're talking about the owner of the Marlins, or if we're talking about the Steinbrenners, or anywhere in between, if I said to you. If this season plays out, you're going to lose $125 million. If we play the season. If we don't play the season, you're still going to lose money, but you're only going to lose $105 million. And they go, okay, I'm going to lose money regardless, 
but I'm going to lose $20 million less by not playing? I don't care if we play or not, then. My, my guess is that's the attitude of some of the owners and probably what Jeff Passan is alluding to. And, and I don't know what the numbers are. I mean, you know, if it's the difference in losing a million dollars one way or the other, there's probably not any real impetus, you know, to not play. But if it's the difference, and, and it feels like nobody's going to make money. So if it's the difference in losing $20 million or not, or, or the difference in losing $100 million or $150 million, I guess you kind of get why some of those guys would say that. That's pretty scary then, as Jeff said, right? Because if they're not motivated to do it, my next question would be, is it going to even get done? If what he's saying is true and there are more than one owners that just aren't motivated at all to negotiate, don't really care if the season gets happened, want to punt it, is it even possible to get a deal done if, if they're just checked out? I, I got a buddy that sent me a text message. I think this is a really important thing. Are they short-sighted, sighted, short-sighted in thinking about what this could potentially do to fans of Major League Baseball? Absolutely. But, but because losing $20 million more or $50 million more this year couldn't that, hey, Dad, end up feeling like a drop in the bucket if fans say, you know what? Screw you. Yes. 100%. No if it comes out that, long term. Yeah, if it comes out that the owners are just like, we just didn't want to lose money this year, that's going to turn around and bite them really, really hard. Yeah. Guys, you better get ready to uh, bend over and grab your ankles because it's coming. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick timeout. We will be right back. I just got to be honest. I'm having a little trouble being like super heavy and serious today. Nothing wrong with that. Like making myself, making us talk about uh, Major League Baseball and their. We've talked about the economics all week long and the NBA all week long. So instead. Hey, Dad, this is right up your alley. I'm talking right up your alley. Based on data from the Public Information and Statistics Society, an unofficial list of the most streamed movies by state since COVID-19 and this craziness began. So back in mid-March. You ready? Saw this earlier, yeah. You give me a state, I'll tell you the movie. I want to talk about uh, Mississippi then. Let's start here at home. Well, let's start with the state of Mississippi. They have in common things with the state of Missouri and Minnesota, though thankfully not lots in common with Minnesota right now. Nebraska. Um, Washington State. Uh, or is that Oregon? That's Oregon. Gone. The Hangover. Rippy, how many of those streams are you responsible for? Quite a few. I've watched it at least twice. It's a great movie. Uh, 
not to change the subject here, but did, I think Elon Musk's rocket just blew up. What? SpaceX Starship SN4 launch vehicle prototype explodes. So that's not the one they were sending up to the moon now. No, no Dragon was. Okay, false alarm. And it's not it's not scheduled to uh, it's not scheduled to launch until tomorrow. Well, I don't think the blow up was scheduled either. I'm just saying something blew up. <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> it was a static fire ah. test of the Raptor engine. So, I mean, they were literally testing what happened. So, is this going to affect the rocket launch tomorrow? Uh, doesn't sound like it. I think this was in Texas. Okay, yeah. Florida's where they're trying to launch the rocket. It is a anyway. rocket that is, uh, quote, very much in its development stage. So, nothing to worry about. Well, it blew up. Well, anyway, I mean, I... If, if I were one of the two astronauts that was headed to the International Space Station on a SpaceX rocket, I don't know that nothing to worry about is exactly what I would go with. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not going to exactly buff out those scratches. That thing's toast. They're probably smart enough to understand the difference between that rocket and, and a test being done on a rocket they're developing and then the one that they're going to be on, but I don't know. Yeah, but still. Hey, you're sweating a little bit more when you show up to work the next day. Probably could have yeah. waited to conduct that test until Sunday, maybe. Yeah, you know, just think. give them a, a day to not... two weeks from now after... Yeah. Dragon makes it back home. Anyway, as we were saying, the hangover in the state of Mississippi, along with several other states, um, the interview, popular one in Washington State, in Vermont and New Hampshire. I feel like uh, Goodfellas being number one in New Jersey is very on brand. Very on brand. Um, so what, it's uh, number one in, what, New Jersey and in Arizona? Which is where they would witness relocate a lot of those guys. So, again, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> the state of Ohio is apparently just gluttons for punishment. Well, I haven't seen Draft Day, but don't the Browns get it right in that one? It's a really bad movie. It's a bad movie, but... If you're you a Browns like fan, to see it? your team finally get it right, I mean, wouldn't that be worth suffering through? I thought draft day was pretty good. I like that uh, Armageddon is number one in North Carolina, but in South Carolina it's Deep Impact. That's always been a great debate of which of those two movies is better. I'm a Deep Impact guy myself. Well, one state. Hey, by the way, the guys, other, this, so that uh, makes sense. the explosion the explosion was scheduled. Well, that's oh, kind of what I said. Yeah, I we are purposely it, failing a launch vehicle to make sure that our abort system on the spacecraft that will be, you know, is in place. Anyway, Thanks. picking. Uh, yeah, if sorry. I had to pick, what's the funniest thing in this to me though? It's Utah, home of the Mormons, going with boogie nights. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just living vicariously through the big that's screen. Like, I, I guess that's sort of like you know me watching Star Wars. You know, it's it's a lifestyle I'll never get to lead. What is Delaware so, into? What is Dirty Grandpa? So, um, I think it's like Dirty Santa and, and Bad te you know, Bad Santa. It's, like, it's one of yeah, those kind of movies. That was a Johnny Knoxville movie. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Where where they put makeup Wait, no, on him 
right? I think it's Maryland. I, I think th- I messed that up. That's Maryland, Rippy, not Delaware. That is. It Mar- was more of a Delaware it was more of a God issue, and not man, the state issue, which is. I don't. A bug's life in North Dakota, ants in South Dakota. That rivalry will never die. Uh, Montana with uh, crazy rich Asians. Would have thought it would have been a river runs through it, but that's okay. Flintstones, well, exactly Viva Rock Vegas. Movie. I mean, all the Nevada movies, all the Las Vegas movies that are out there. The Hangover, Ocean's Eleven. They went with Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas. Manchester by the sea in Idaho. I don't even know what that is. I don't know. Pennsylvania went with uh, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Sure. Milk in Wisconsin. That's fairly on brand. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I thought this was going to be about cheese. Lords of Dogtown was uh, Michigan's most streamed movie. Sure. Uh, Despicable Me, popular in Tennessee and also in uh, Virginia. Good movie. Manchester by the Sea is a 2016 American drama film starring Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. The plot follows a man after his brother dies. He's entrusted to care with his teenage nephew. Okay. Sounds Casey Affleck's a good actor. Saw a Casey Affleck interview on uh, Jay Leno one time, and uh, he was talking about a road trip that he made when he was in his twenties, and just kind of jumped in the car. And I guess he was living somewhere in the Northeast, and just kind of started heading south. And he's in this old car and gets pulled over in the state of Georgia, and uh, it's the prototypical state patrolman with the black leather boots up to his knees and he's got the sunglasses on and whatnot and comes up and realizes he's got a Yankee that uh, he has pulled over with New York license plate and he says, son, don't nobody drive this fast through Georgia. And Casey Affleck said, well, not since General Sherman anyway. Oh, that's pretty funny. Apparently, uh, apparently the ticket came post-haste. Ugh. Of all How many of these, these movies things? have you seen? Uh, most of them. No, not most of them. A lot of them. The one that strikes me that is the most obvious, there's no way this is true, is Green Lantern being in California. Green Lantern is a terrible, terrible, I can't stress enough, terrible movie. There's no way that's the most, there's no way I believe that. Parasite, the most watched in Alaska and Alabama. I mean, it did just win Best Picture, so, you know. Okay. Life of Pi in Louisiana. It's been around for a while, hasn't it? Well, that movie has a tiger in it, so again, that's probably on brand. Yeah. Somebody gave me that book somewhere along the way. I don't think I made it all the way through. Uh, what I don't know what Charlie movie 43 Cloud? is either. Isn't that about a, a guy who sees like his dead younger brother or something like that? It's got uh, Zac Efron in it, I think. Okay. I don't know what movie 43 is, so I don't know what they're watching in Texas. I'm really surprised it's not Smokey and the Bandit, to be honest with you. Charlie St. Cloud is a 2010 American drama film based on the best-selling novel, The Death in Life of Charlie St. Cloud. Uh, It's about his choice between keeping a promise he made to his brother who died in a car accident or going after the girl he loves. Zac Efron? Yep, Zac Efron. I I knew what I was talking about. 
What's movie 43, the outrageous new ensemble comedy starring some of the biggest names in Hollywood, not for the easily offended, and contains jaw-dropping, sometimes shockingly disturbing, but always entertaining, intertwined storylines you'll have to see to believe. Sounds like clickbait. Johnny Knoxville, Gerard Butler, Anna Ferris, uh, Sean William Scott, Hugh Jackman, Richard Gere. Really? Uma Thurman, Halle Berry, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Kate Bosworth, Kate Winslet. Wow. Kind of a star-studded a cast. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Josh Demel. Is that how you say his last name? It's uh, so. Fergie's ex, isn't it? I believe you're right. Kristen Bell in this one as well. Elizabeth Banks. Wow. Gracious. Chris Pratt. Gosh. I mean, pretty much anybody that has worked in Hollywood at any time in the last 20 years appeared in the movie Movie 43. And it looks like they're dressed up like a bunch of Batman characters. Be sure to put that one on the top of my viewing list. Uh, we'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Josh says, Lords of Dogtown, great movie. Paula says, I've seen none of them because I hate movies. Can you please talk about minor league baseball? How do you hate movies? Like, I understand hating certain kinds of movies, but mo- all movies? James in Hattiesburg says, what's Idaho? Uh, Idaho went with uh, Manchester by the sea. Sporky told you uh, a little bit about a couple of other texts. You have to watch Movie 43. It's a bunch of short films, super hilarious. And then this says Movie 43, really funny. All the big actors do funny, offensive skits. So that's a a very different review than uh, what I was reading during the break, where it basically says Movie 43 is the worst movie ever made. A 2013 American anthology comedy co-directed and produced by Peter Farrelly the film features 14 different storylines, each one by a different director. It took almost a decade to get in production as most studios rejected the script, which was eventually picked up for $6 million. Shot over a period of several years, casting approved to be a challenge. Some actors, including George Clooney, declined to take part, while others, such as Richard Gere, attempted to get out of the project. Richard Roper, a movie critic, called it the Citizen Kane of Awful. <laughs> With others labeling it as one of the worst films of all time. Okay. Maybe I won't watch it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, do we take the uh, movie critics' uh, opinions? Because generally speaking, whatever a movie critic thinks, I think the opposite. Like, oh, it wasn't sophisticated. Normally, but well, that, is, kind of funny. that is really harsh. That's really harsh. What? What, that that, that review. Like, I just, if you're like, ah, it's not for me, but yeah, yeah. It's like, it's not for me, blah, 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 whatever. That that was like, don't, that was, that felt like a warning more than a review. Yeah. Yeah. Does this feel like a warning if you're a free agent in the NFL and you would like to play in front of fans? Melvin Gordon. 
ProFootballTalk.com uh, has the story of COVID-19 forces NFL teams to play in empty stadiums. Melville Gordon says it won't really feel much different for him. Played his entire career for the Chargers before signing with the Broncos this offseason. Noted that the Chargers played in front of plenty of empty seats. Quote, we didn't have fans anyway. We didn't have many Charger fans at the game, so I'm not missing much. <laughs> hey. That's he terrible. had a pretty contentious holdout last year. I imagine that's just taking a shot. Well, taking a shot, yes, but it's also true, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you don't have to you don't have to lie to take a shot at someone or something. Yeah. So uh, I looked at the replies to that, and one of them was back in San Diego. They had real fans, and somebody replied to that, and it was a picture of a full stadium of Bronco fans, all orange, in San Diego. Whole stadium, just Bronco fans. Yeah, I mean, it, they lost them there too. I, I'm sure at a point, and I know at a point that they had like a well-developed following in San Diego. But when the owner uh, like threatened them with leaving so many times, they probably just got fed up with it. And once they knew the writing was on the wall, they stopped showing up. Yeah, I mean, if you find a San Diego Chargers game picture from you know a decade ago, that's probably. It was really good crowds, you know. But you're right. Once, oh, and think once they knew, you know, they knew. Think back to the the mid '90s when was it? Oh, yeah. Stan Humphreys was the quarterback, and they made a couple of runs deep into the playoffs. Went to a Super Bowl. Who was the tight end that uh, popped the the cork on the football like it was a pineapple, and then would turn the football up like he was drinking out of it? I don't remember that. Do you not? No, I don't. Yeah. Of course, Junior Seau was a great San Diego Charger. Oh, yeah. Mm. They had some good players through the year. And obviously, Ladanian Tomlinson. Yeah, Natron Means. Natron. Natron Means, yeah, that's right. Potato, potato, I know, but still. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're right. You're right, though. Is Ladanian Tomlinson the best Charger of all time? It's either him or, or Lance Allworth. Maybe say, I don't okay. know. Dan Fouts. <laughs> Fouts is good. I he was a put good him in player. He was really good, yeah. Yeah. Hey, coming up in the uh, 4 o'clock hour, we'll, we'll be a little more serious. A uh, pretty extended interview with uh, Keith Carter. I uh, recorded it earlier today. Uh, so Keith will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll talk about all of the stuff that's going on right now in terms of planning for an upcoming football season, how comfortable he feels now as opposed to maybe a month or two months ago. And uh, we'll get into some other things with him as well. Mike Bianco's uh, kind of status as the head baseball coach at Ole Miss, some thoughts on uh, the baseball proposal to push the, uh, the season back. And then also to uh, some future construction possibilities as it pertains to uh, both baseball and football at Ole Miss. Keith Carter saying that uh, during his athletic directorship time, he anticipates that football will be taken care of in a big, big way in terms of the stadium. That's coming up next on Sports Talk Mississippi. It's supertalk.fm. Good to have you along on this Friday afternoon. 
Don't forget the ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We're joined by Keith Carter, Athletics Director at Ole Miss. And um, the, the last couple of times that we've talked, it's been, we've got a whole lot of questions, not a ton of answers. Do you feel like you're getting to the point, and, and this is really general, where answers are starting to finally present themselves. I do. Um, you know, I think it's still very fluid and, and evolving every day. But I, I do think, you know, obviously with the president's and chancellor's decision last week that we can bring student athletes back on, on June 8th. I mean, that was huge. And, uh, you know, Shannon Singletary and our, our folks here have been working tirelessly on that plan to, to, to be ready for that. And, and I think we are. And so, uh, you know, we'll start bringing them back on June 1st and doing some testing to prepare for that June 8th day. But, uh, you know, it does feel like every day they're, they're starting to be a little more clarity. Uh, you know, we, we've always had questions about you know would would you know how would our state open up relative to other states and uh what the footprint of the sec look like and all of that and and we're starting to see some of the states open back up and and open back up for business so um i do think that there's more answers now but i think the problem richard is you 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 answer some of the questions and then new ones pop up obviously we're getting student athletes back we're excited about potentially you know getting them ready for the fall season uh but then if we have the fall season you know what what do the stadiums look like you know that's kind of the next wave we're going to get there i promise we're looking at so um but you know th- th- this has been and i've said this publicly a few times this has just been probably the, the most fluid situation i've ever worked on you know you, you plan and plan and plan and then you know things change and so we hope that the momentum continues we hope that obviously the the, the health data continues to come back in a positive way and, and we can push forward so the sec release was june 8th which you referenced a second ago but that was the day that voluntary workouts could begin because the NCAA put that June 1st date, so you can start bringing guys back and kind of ramping up so that when you hit June 8th, which I guess is a week from Monday, they can actually begin actual activities. Is that Am I, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we'll start off, and our, ours will be a phased approach. So on June 8th, we will not have all of our student-athletes doing voluntary stuff in our buildings, but we will have some. So we'll start with our fall sports, football volleyball, soccer, uh, cross country. Those are the sports that will start coming in June 1st. Um, you know, the, the thing about the testing, Richard, is you got to, you know, socially, socially distance there. You've got to, you know, that's a process. You can't just bring in, you know, a hundred football players and test them in, in an hour. It's going to be a process to do that. So it's going to take a day or two to do football. It's going to take a day to do, you know, soccer and volleyball. So we'll continue to do that. But yes, when we start on June 8th, those, those student athletes will have been tested. They'll be ready to go and they'll be able to jump into those facilities. So do you anticipate the entire football team? being back on campus on June 8th when the voluntary uh, activities start? No, we'll, we'll have uh, definitely our returners will be here. Um, you know, the incoming freshmen uh, and newcomers, there's a little bit different legislation around kind of the way they can come back. Uh, so a lot of them will be not just football, but a lot of our student athletes that are newcomers will be more mid to late June to be ready more for a July 1st date. So has has it been discussed when football practice is actually going to be able to begin because we know there's a ramping up period you got these voluntary workouts and coaches have talked about the fact that we've got to 
get our guys back in shape to be able to go in. But because there was no spring, are we looking at additional time for fall camp than you would have had in previous years? Um, you know, I, I think that's really been the mindset all along is that there would be some relief there so that our coaches could get their hands on the student athletes a little earlier. You know, right now it's, it's dead until at least through June. We know that, that there's no, there's not going to be any, or, you know, organized practices, those type of things at least through June. So I think all of our coaches looking at that July 1st date is maybe that date that they could, you know, literally get their hands on them, get out on the field or the court with them, that type of thing. Um, but everything right now will be voluntary through June. So, Fast forwarding to football, I've heard some optimism from you. I mean, as we sit here at the end of May, do you anticipate that Ole Miss is playing football in Houston, Texas on Labor Day weekend? I do, and and again, I give Commissioner Sankey a lot of credit, uh, the SEC office, and, and and the other ads in our league. It's been a really great effort and a, and a collaborative effort, you know, over the past two and a half months. But everybody's remained really optimistic about playing football uh, on Labor Day weekend, and I think we're all planning toward that. I mean, I think that's our goal. We want to we want to play. Uh, we want to play in front of fans. Uh, you know, all of that. But obviously we're looking at other contingency, you know, plans as well. And so, um, you know, I think we got to prepare for that. And that's obviously why they're letting us bring our student athletes back. We'll, we'll get them back in shape and, and make sure that they're healthy and ready to go. Um, but then if, you know, something happens, if, if, if the cases spike, if things start to turn in a different direction, we got to push the season back, then we'll be prepared for that too. With regard to the, the game in Houston to start the year, uh, maybe a couple of things here. Number one, we've been alluding on this show for a while that uh, it's probably not going to be played on Saturday, that that's going to be a, a Sunday night kick. There was some reporting uh, a week or so ago, uh, a little more in detail. It, can you go on the record about that yet? Uh, I can't go on the record for that, but um, I would say that, that probably you could keep discussing that if you want to. Fair um, enough. So, yeah. Worst kept secret maybe for <laughs> the uh, the opening weekend. Have you had any conversations with the folks at the, the Texans organization or the – kind of the promoters for that game as to whether or not fans are going to be able to attend that because that's an NFL venue as opposed to a home stadium for somebody. Absolutely. You know, our, our folks have been talking to them a lot, actually, about kind of what, what that's going to look like. Um, you know, I think they're anticipating the same thing. I mean, they're kind of going to work backwards from a full stadium. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of fans that have bought tickets. Baylor's had a lot of fans that have bought tickets. And I think right now they're they're planning to, you know, make sure that those folks are, are in the seats. But, you know, again, it's so fluid. It could change tomorrow. Um, you know, I think that really, you know, where we're, where we're talking about as we get into early July, mid July, I think that's when we'll really have some more data that we'll kind of be able to start making those decisions. Visiting with Keith Carter, athletics director at Ole Miss on the Farm Bureau phone line. Again, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So you almost get like a bonus week in, in being on the road and you get one deep, uh, one week deeper into, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, this COVID-19 thing. So September 12th, is the first home game what's it going to look like in terms of fans in the stands I, I think that's what everybody wants to know yeah that that's the million dollar well it's actually a lot more than a million dollar question it's a, <laughs> it's a big question um but you know I, I think for us all we can do right now again we're, we're going to work backwards from a full stadium um you know we're going to plan as if if we're going to be playing in front of, of of a full crowd 
Um, financially, we've looked at kind of what that looks like if you have a 50% capacity, a 25% capacity, and, and, and you know, very candidly, it doesn't look very good. Um, what are those numbers? I mean, can, can you share those? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, it's it's in the tens of millions of dollars. I mean, if, if you're looking at if you're looking at a 50% capacity, you know, you're you're in the you know the eight figure number that we would we would be at a loss, and and you know you can kind of do the math from there as, as you go down. So it's it's one of those things, and I and I, I talked to our our, our CFO uh, both here in the department and in the foundation, and it's like you almost say, you know, what am I supposed to do with these numbers? Like the, we can't operate on this, and and I think that would be the case, you know, across the board, not just at Ole Miss or Mississippi State. It'd be the same at Alabama. I mean, if they're if they've got 25 percent of the people in their stadium, they've got a big problem, and so we're looking at all of that. But you know, just logistically and physically in the stadium, to me, that's more of an easy one. You can go in, you can you know, you can tape off seats and do different things and have different scenarios. I know we've seen a lot of that modeling across the country of what that would look like. And to be honest, we haven't done a ton of that yet. We've been so focused on getting our student athletes back and making sure that our facilities are ready for them when they come back next week and, and the week after. So we'll really start diving into what our stadium looks like, uh, you know, what, what the Grove looks like, you know, just a lot of these things that, that would involve a, a weekend here in Oxford for football. So this is a hypothetical. If I was talking to Greg Sankey, he'd say I don't deal in hypotheticals. I'm, I'm hoping you'll take the bait here a little bit. L- let's say that you have to go with a 50% capacity, e- even if it's just for the first few games of the year. How, how do you determine – who gets to be one of the 32,000 in the stadium and who's left outside looking in? Well, I, I think you could ask every AD in the SEC, and there's two things that have kind of kept kept us awake or we've wrestled with this whole thing, this whole time. One one is very serious, and that's the that's the you know when we finally do get a confirmed case in our in our department or with one of our teams, you know how do you handle that? How do you isolate that person? How do you do contact tracing to make sure that really it doesn't shut down the whole operation? And I think that's one of the things we've we've been talking about from day one because we know there's going to be a case, we know it's going to happen whether it's here, or Mississippi State, or somewhere. So that's been one. The second one is is the fans. You know, how do we decide? You know, if we if we get the mandate that 25% is is what you can have in your stadium, how do we decide what that 25% is? And I think we've decided is there's really not a good answer because you're going to make somebody mad, you're going to alienate somebody. Um, you know, no matter what the decision is. So we'll continue to look at that. That's actually something that I think the the, the schools around the league are going to kind of submit and look at some ideas that, that others are thinking about and, and maybe try to find some type of consensus that would make sense. Uh, not that necessarily we'd have to do it at every school, but something that makes sense really across the league. Because 25% capacity, to use that number, I mean, that's 16,000 people. You've already sold more than 16,000 season tickets, haven't you? That's exactly right. Yeah, we're about 23,000 right now uh, with the deadline coming up on on June 15th and you know before we got on the air we're talking about Iowa State and what they've said is basically if you have a season ticket you're going to be the first in the first priority and obviously I think that's probably something we would look at too you know Um, but like you said right now we're we're on a negative side of that so we'd have to come up with a, a different plan. So that is part one of our conversation with Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter. We've got a lot more to get to. We'll continue that in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Friday afternoon. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, Friday afternoon, streaming at supertalk.fm and online at supertalktv.com. Glad to have you along. We'll continue our conversation with Keith Carter as we were talking about uh, what the stadium could look like when Ole Miss opens its home slate on September 12th. What's going to determine the percentage capacity? You, you said you're going to start with a full stadium and work back. Is that based on what the governor says you can do? Is it CDC? Is it what the SEC says? How, who makes that decision? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of, of all of those, Richard. You know, I, I think that, you know, we were talking about this morning on our call that, you know, we're going to have to adhere to state policies, to local policies. You know, right now it's a six feet, you know, social distancing. That's kind of the, the required amount. So if you went in right now, you'd, you'd probably have to figure out, you know, what, whatever that combination looks like. If it's six feet between individual seats, if it's six feet between, you know, families or season ticket holders, that type of thing. But, you know, our hope is if, if you're adding masks, if you're adding different protocols around, is that does that shrink that social distancing you know number um and obviously as you get more information moving forward um you know i think that's what we're we're hoping as well is that as we get more time we, we the one thing we are still blessed with today is we have time you know before september 5th or 6th before that labor day weekend so hopefully as we get more information we'll be able to to put you know uh, a better plan together you, you brought this up a second ago I, something i wanted to ask you about what, what about the growth and I, I mean some people might even roll their eyes about that but it's a big deal and we were talking about this on the show yesterday. I mean, because I live here, I'm not sure that I look at it the same way that some people do. But for a lot of people, that's it's a homecoming that happens six or seven Saturdays in the fall. And we know there are a lot of people that show up for that, even for non-conference games. So, so how does the Grove get managed? Yeah, it's huge, Richard. I mean, you know, you you'll have a full stadium of sixty-four thousand. You've still got another ten or fifteen out in the Grove, you know, watching. I mean, it's just such a huge part of what we do here. And you know, I think for us, you know, when you look at the stadium, that, that's an easy math problem, depending on what you have to do based on CDC or, or state guidelines. But you look in the Grove, and you know, where where does the Grove start? Where does it end? You know, can you put a percentage on it? Probably not. Um, you know, I think some of this, Richard, is going to come down to the fact that we're going to have to do everything we can from a safety standpoint, whether it's in the stadium, whether it's in the Grove. But ultimately, people are going to have to probably make their own decisions. You know, at some point, I, I don't know that we're going to be able to put a a hard and fast number on what the Grove looks like. And so, you know, if we get to the point where, you know, the Grove is going to be open, if we decide it's going to be open, you know, some people, if, if they're in those those age ranges or, or have a susceptibility to, to the virus, then maybe they have to decide on their own. So, you know, you get into liability, you get into so many different things when you start talking in those terms. But uh, the Grove is, is going to be interesting. And, again, that's one of those that we're going to start to spend some more time on. Uh, you know, we've kind of had a priority list that we've been working through. But Stadium and Grove are, are certainly next. Let me switch gears from football for a minute to uh, to baseball. Uh, obviously, this baseball season was disappointing for, for Ole Miss fans uh, after the start that they had. Um, knew that you were going to have to get to a point where you figured something out with Mike Bianco's contract going forward. There was some news last week that uh, that you guys – or have either finalized it or are really close to doing so. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, you hit it on the head. What what a great start to the season. Um, you know, it felt like this team had, you know, kind of that it factor that you talk about. They just had a confidence and a swagger to them. And, you know, I think a lot of it was was the personality of the team. There were some, some characters on this team that just went out there and played baseball. But I think also, you know, Mike kind of let those guys do that. You know, he realized kind of what this team was and, and what made them really good. And, um, you know, I thought that was something that, that Mike did this year that was really good but you know Richard I, I think we're in a really good spot with with coach and um, you know we, we have been looking at his contract and, and I think we're we're really close to finalizing something that that uh, you know he's going to be really happy with we're going to be really happy with and uh, hopefully it's going to keep coach Bianco here for a long long time you know I, I think that you know there's there's this talk of 
you know, does he get to Omaha enough? Do we do we succeed enough in the postseason? You know, all that. And, and I get that. Um, and we, we want to do that. And believe me, nobody wants to go to Omaha more than Mike Bianco. He thinks about it every single day. He prepares his teams and his programs to do it every single day. And most years he puts us right on the doorstep of getting there. Uh, we all want to get there more. He wants to get there more. But we, we have a coach that has been so consistent, and he's been so good. 20 years here, um, never had a single issue with his program. Um, you know, winning and, and just doing the right thing and, 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 and really building and molding young men. So we're excited about his, his leadership, and, uh, you know, we're hoping to make that announcement soon that he's going to be our coach for a long, long time. And I know, I mean, there's there's a level of just when somebody's been in a place a long time that there are people that just naturally want change for, for the sake of change. But kind of when you look at the entire body of work, it, it gets pretty difficult to justify and even if you can justify it, that there's no guarantee on the backside that you come out achieving what you want to. Do you have to balance that in, as part of this? You do, you do. And, and again, you know, I, I think you know the conversations with Mike have, have been great. You know, he and I have a really, really good relationship. That's important to me. Um, and we've talked very candidly about you know kind of what's out there and what what people say. And, and he gets it. Believe me, he gets it. And, and he's working hard to get us there. But at the same time, you want a program that's consistent. You want something that every year you know you're going to have a winner. You're going to be again right on that doorstep of, of doing some really good things. And I have no doubt that uh, he's going to bust through that door in a big way very soon. There was news, I guess it was last week, about the the possibility of pushing the college baseball season back, maybe as much as a month. And, and we talked with Mike about it on the, the show, uh, I guess, last Friday. And he, he, while well, he said he wasn't opposed to the idea, maybe wasn't jumping up and down about it the way some of the initial news reports and stories about that were, what do you... What, what do you see in terms of legs for, for that proposal kind of from a national perspective? Well, let me let me first quantify this, that I, I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I've talked to Coach about it a few times. Um, I do think that it's, it's probably more of a um, positive situation for the northern schools. Um, you know, I think for them financially, you know, you look at the fact that they have to play three or four of their first weekends on the road. You know, they're traveling. There's a lot of things there. You know, when we play in, in late February, it's really cold here, you know. Um, so if you if you push that back, you probably get a little better baseball weather, uh, which is which is great. Um, you know, I think on the back end, there's some things you got to consider with, with summer leagues and different things, you know, for for these teams that, that play all the way into July potentially. You know, there's there's players on those teams that aren't getting that bats. There's players on those teams that aren't getting, you know, on the mound to pitch, and they need those reps in summer league and those type of things. So there's just a lot of things to think about. I'm kind of like Mike, though, as we've talked about. I, I'm, I'm indifferent right now until I learn more. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not sure it's a great thing for us. I'm not sure it would, would help us tremendously, but I don't think it would hurt us either. So um, it's one of those that we'll look at, and, and, and you know, you certainly want to involve and, and try to get better in any way that you can, and, and maybe this is a way we can. I, I understand that right now, because of the uncertainty with budgets, you're not necessarily in a spending mode. It may be more of a, a saving and preparing for the future mode, but let's, let's talk about spending some money going forward what's next in particular for the baseball stadium you you've done a couple of renovations that have totaled what about 45 million or so in the last decade is there a plan for enhanced seating capacity is there a plan for redoing the outfield for the students for the the left field area what's next in terms of baseball with making more improvements to that stadium 
Well, that's an awesome question. I, I think that there's some things we definitely need to do. Um, you know, you look out there, and in the past two years, we've set season ticket records. You know, the, we, we sold 7,200 two years ago. This year, we were all up around 7,400. Uh, and, and we're kind of finding new seats we're running out of seats to sell um, i think we have a, a great thing in the outfield right now i think the, the folks out in left field love what we have the obviously the students love what we have out there but i think there's some ways we can enhance those um, we actually acquired the piece of property behind the student section the old tennis courts out there uh, we kind of did a, a land swap if you will with with campus and, and we've acquired that so we have that space we can do some things out there um, you know all capital projects are going to be on a little bit of a hold right now until we figure out where we are with with covid and, and what all this looks like moving forward um, but certainly i think we just need to enhance what we have out there we, we have such a great tradition such a great atmosphere for college baseball we don't want to do anything that's going to change that but i think if we can add more of a good thing we certainly want to try to do that all right so let's move across campus a little bit to the football stadium uh, i mean it's no secret that you've got if you break the stadium into four parts north south east west you've got four different architectural styles going um what, what's your vision for vault hemingway and and how do you get there well i think that uh you know that's a that's a big dollar question obviously um you know, I think that like hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar question, right? Yeah, I, I think what we're going to find, Richard, is we as we dive into that wholeheartedly and we start looking at more of a kind of a master plan for the stadium, you're going to have to you're going to look at at you know the east side of the stadium coming down to the ground, the west side of the stadium coming down to the ground potentially. Um, I just think the infrastructure is 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 so old. Um, you look at restrooms and concessions and those type of things. All that's going to have to change when you really dive into it. Um, and so I, I think it's probably our next capital campaign, honestly. So We're, basically the south end zone is the only thing that remains? Um, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, I, and again, I don't know that it's like bulldoze it all the way to the ground. But I just think there's going to be so many things in there that you're not going to be able to, to kind of put, you know, patch it with chewing gum and, and duct tape. You yeah, know, that's been done for a long time, hasn't it? It has. It has. And so I, I think, you know, as we finish up four together, the campaign that we're in right now we've got about i don't know 12 or 13 million left to close that out and we feel like we can get that done i think probably the next big capital campaign revolves around vault hemingway stadium and i you know i think in my 10 years ad it's going to happen you know i think that it's something that we've got to do and i think that it's something that if we want to continue to show you know growth and progress in our football program that that it needs to happen for sure so what was the total dollar figure for forward together uh 200 million 200 so $200 million was the Forward Together campaign, and uh, once that's uh, completed, which they said they're about $10 million, Keith said they're about $10, 12000000 million away from, then uh, maybe you start another one for uh, redoing the football stadium. We'll continue our conversation with Keith Carter after this. So in 2017, Ole Miss launched the, uh, actually in 2011, they launched the Forward Together campaign. It was a $200 million fundraiser for athletics. Keith Carter says when the Forward campaign uh, officially, a Forward Together campaign officially ends, that's when they'll probably look at starting a new campaign for football stadium, and it's one that will have to cost more than this last one did. So it's got to be at least that much, if not more the next time around i would think so i mean you know you look at texas a&m what they did and obviously that was a 
that was a huge project, and, and they, they did it and expedited the process, which really kind of added to the budget. But they spent $450 million on their on their stadium, and it's phenomenal. Obviously, all the bells and whistles, the you know, club areas are, are – And seats, 105000 Exactly. So ours wouldn't be quite that big. But I, I'm thinking, Richard, it's probably at least two hundred, but it's probably more in the, the two to 300 range is, is what we'd be looking at in that campaign. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a big number. It's a big number, and it's one of those things that, you know, now, like you mentioned, is we're kind of looking at our budgets and how we're going to balance budgets, and then you start talking about a $300 million campaign for really one project. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big one. Um, but we know what, how important football is. We understand that, you know, that's, that we got to continue to, to grow those facilities. And, uh, you know, hopefully Coach Kiffin and his staff will help us with some wins on the field. That'll, that'll get that excitement going. So in, in terms of budget, there, there's been so much talk about the, the new ESPN deal, which basically is ESPN taking over the, the 2.30 time slot for CBS. It's been written about it's the most undervalued piece of property in all of sports. Um, a lot of sports business writers have written about what those numbers are going to look like. I know they haven't been formally released, but the expectation is it's going to probably be five or six times what it is. The impact that that has on you from a budget standpoint, if you're talking about an additional 12 or 15 or 18 or 20 million dollars to your budget on top of what you're already getting in TV revenue, what what is that going to mean for you when that ultimately happens? Well, you know, obviously, you know, the, the those uh, those for sure numbers haven't come out yet, and and that's something that you know I think yeah, those are my numbers, not yeah, yours. Yeah, Commissioner Sankey and and Charlie Hussey and all those guys, they're they're doing tremendous work on on all that, but. Um, you know, if, if those numbers do happen, Richard, I mean, that's, that's big. I mean, you know, for us in, in a $115 million budget, if you could add, you know, another, you know, 20, 30% or whatever that looks like, I mean, that, that's big for us. And I think for us specifically here at Ole Miss, having been what we've been through over the past six or seven years where we had a, you know, a healthy reserve built up, but we had to go into that when we, when we weren't getting the money from the SEC distribution for the bowl games and, you know, obviously attorney fees with the NCAA case and, and now with COVID-19, you know, we just kind of had a lot of layers to, to some financial things we've had to work through. So, um, to be able to jump into something like that and, and really kind of, you know, be able to go back and pay some debt off and, and build reserves back and, and do all those things. Um, I think that's something that would, would certainly help our budget. It's going to help everyone, but, you know, us specifically here at Ole Miss, that's something that's really going to help. Just a couple more minutes with Keith Carter, Athletics Director at uh, Ole Miss. Certainly appreciate your time on a uh, on a Friday afternoon. Name, image, likeness. Um, I guess the letter went today from the five power conferences to Congress asking them to act so that the NCAA doesn't necessarily get to set the terms. What's going on with this? And we know that there's a finite timeline for when something has to happen, otherwise it turns into chaos with individual states setting forth their own legislation. No question. No question. And I think that, you know, obviously with with everything with COVID-19 going on, that's taken the priority as it, as it should. Um, but there's a huge conversation going on that, that's really now starting to spark back up. Um, that was kind of quiet there for a couple months with with NIL, and you know I, I think that it's it's something Richard that um, you know I, I don't think the SEC, I don't think Ole Miss is against going down this road. I mean I think you know we understand that we want to give to our student athletes, and some of them are, are very you know high valued and have great marketability. Um, so we don't necessarily have a problem with 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 going down the road. We just want to make sure that we go down the road in the right way, and you know it doesn't get into where it's affecting recruiting. It doesn't get into where. You know, uh, the institution itself is having to manage or, or advise these young people 
on who they need to sign their sponsorship deal with. Um, you know, there needs to be a, a governing body that understands it wholly. That that you know, is is that the NCAA? Is it Congress? Is it a third party um, that that you know hasn't been established yet? That that's all they do is is work on this with student athletes and the compliance departments of each institution. Um, but it's a big deal. Roger Wicker obviously is going to be a big part of this as he's on the commerce commerce committee, and um, that's good for us in the state of Mississippi because we have a, a direct lifeline to him to talk to him about kind of our concerns and where we where we think this should go. Um, so that's been really good. But uh, again, I, I give credit to Greg and, and William King and everyone at the SEC office. They've done a really really good job of of making sure that we're all collaborating, we're communicating. Uh, we as a league are standing together, kind of with what we where we think this should go, and um, it's going to be big. I mean, and if we're not careful. Um, you know, it's one of those that could change college athletics. It's going to change college athletics. But if we're not careful, um, I just worry that, you know, our amateur model gets gets shifted and changed. And um, I don't think any of us really want that. There was an interesting article at The Athletic. I, I don't know if you saw it or not, that kind of outlined, based on a bunch of different projections, what the top ten earners would have been from last year, from 2019. And Zion Williamson was an anomaly. He was $3.5 mm-hmm. million. That, that's a different deal altogether. But in the top ten nationally, there were two UCLA gymnasts on there because of what they've generated through their own Instagram uh, you know, feeds and the number of followers that they've got there and the value of, of an Instagram post. Isn't there something that's fascinating that to, to say, okay, if you're able to generate that type of following, maybe you're not going and you're signing a $100,000 endorsement deal with Nike, but because of your own popularity – you can capitalize on that the way other students can. That that feels like it's a step in the right direction, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and again, as I started the last comment, I mean, we, we're not we're not trying to to say it shouldn't happen. We're you know we understand again. These, a lot of these young people have a marketability and. You know, it, you know, their image is, is, is very valuable. And so we're not saying that they shouldn't get that. We just think there's, there's gotta be some guidelines. There's gotta be some parameters around it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it's great that, you know, uh, you know, UCLA gymnasts could have that type of value. I mean, that's really, really cool. And, and now with social media and just so many different outlets for these young people to get themselves out there and, 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 you know, personally brand themselves, um, they, they deserve some of this. I mean, there, there's no question about that. But again, I just think there's gotta be a kind of a decisive and, and defined approach around around it uh, and, and just making sure because I, I could see it Richard where it goes down a road that we, we don't want this to become professional sports yeah and I think I don't think anybody has that appetite I, I don't think our student athletes you know in, in some ways understand what that would mean you know does that mean uh, that they have to form a union does that mean that they all of a sudden have to start paying for their own uniforms do they have to pay for their <laughs> own training do they have to, you know all those things we don't want to go down that road we yeah because one of the arguments I've always made and I, I don't know how you feel about this as a former student athlete not even as an athletics director is You've got to start with the fact that there is value in a college education. So so it's scholarship and it's room and board and it's the training and the facilities and the food and all of that that goes into it. But then there, there's a level of marketability that you have, like going out and trying to get a job if you were a college athlete that mm-hmm. other people don't have. Yeah, that's right. And and you know we we've actually you know done some some research to show you know, exactly what. A college athlete gets during their four years at Ole Miss or at Mississippi State or at Alabama, and it's significant. When you talk about you know tuition and, and all the things that that go along with their experience, like I mentioned, the training and uh, you know nutrition and, and so many different things. But yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of always been the model. You know, when I when I finished in in the late 90s. 
you know, I had kind of a value in some ways because I was an Ole Miss athlete. And you were able to market that a little bit and, and go out and kind of use that with different connections and those type of things. And I don't think that will change. Um, but I, I do think that now adding this to, to that, that they're going to be able to get something while they're in college. You know, again, I, I don't think that necessarily there's anything wrong with that. We just got to be careful with the way it's implemented. Last thing for you. When what was your freshman year? Ninety ninety five. Ninety five. The overall athletics budget at Ole Miss in nineteen ninety five <laughs> probably thirty million. I think it's less. I think it would be less. Maybe less than that. Yeah. Hundred and fifteen million now. I think the last four years it's been over a hundred million. How much of a hit does the overall budget take this year? based on kind of what's happened in the last few months? Well, you know, there's there's been two kind of parallel discussions going on over the past two months. One is how do we how do we close this fiscal year, 2020? Um, and we feel good about that. I've kind of been public about that, that we're going to be able to, to move some things around and, and do some things. Um, and then we're, we're building our 2021 budget. And I think when that budget comes out, you'll see that it, it's going to be less than, than this budget. You know, I don't know exactly where we'll land yet, but, um, I saw, I saw one posted maybe a couple of days ago that they were about $10 million less than last year's budget. It was a power five school. I can't remember who it was. Um, I don't know that ours will be 10 million less, but it'll be less. And so we're going to have to, to figure that out. And again, you know, we hope this is, is one of those years that's just an anomaly and we'll be able to kind of kick back up to where we were in the past. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to take some tightening of the belt. And I will say this though, Richard, there was, there was some, um, some publicity last year when we did our budget that we tightened our belt. You know, we, we did some, some budget cuts. We worked with our coaches and different things. And I will say, I think that's positioned us a little better for this year's budget because we did some of that last year. And so, you know, we're not having to cut as many things. Um, you know, we're able to, to still hold on to, to some of those things that we had in, in last year's budget. So, uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, one of the things we haven't gotten state appropriations from the state of Mississippi yet for the, for the university. So there's just a lot of things. The budgets aren't going to be set here probably for a little while, but, uh, it's interesting to see, you know, where we come from this year to next. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Enjoyed it, Richard. That's Keith Carter, Athletics Director at Ole Miss. So we covered a lot of ground there with Keith Carter. We'll unpack some of what he had to say when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next. All right, back with you live now on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks to Keith Carter, the Athletics Director at Ole Miss, for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, for that extended conversation uh, that uh, we recorded a little earlier today. Covered a lot of ground with Keith uh, in terms of you know his thoughts on college football returning on September 5th, uh, potential future stadium expansion slash renovation at both uh, Swayze Field and Vault Hemingway. Uh, some budget concerns, you know, ticketing issues, whether or not the Grove's going to be open, and a lot of other different things. Kind of curious for you guys, what stood out uh, about what Keith said in that three-part interview that stretched for a little over half an hour? Anything stand out for you? Aside from just delivering more optimism today that they are, uh, you know, expecting to play in Houston and they are planning on and working backwards, I thought that was an interesting strategy and a good way to put it that they they are planning for and hoping for and expecting to have a full stadium, but working their way back from that in preparing for all the different capacity levels. That's always nice to hear uh, somebody with uh, that kind of foresight, but it's the stadium thing. 
I mean, Vaught Hemingway Stadium is in desperate need for implosion and rebuilding, but since they can't do that, um, it's an expensive project and it would be years away, but that place so desperately needs a massive facelift, and it's nice to hear that that's going to be the next thing that they do because they need to do it. It's that So many people for so long have just put lipstick on that pig, and a $300 million project where he mentioned the phrase tearing down the east and the west side should be a very welcome sight for Ole Miss people. I don't know that I've ever heard somebody in a leadership position actually say that either. That it, What it, was the direct it, quote? For, that it, it, We need it. Yeah, and... That was after I said, you know, if you want to take the four directions of the stadium, north, south, east, and west, you got four different architectural styles working. You know, when you look around the SEC, Vanderbilt Stadium is clearly the worst, and it's probably Ole Miss's after that. I mean, Missouri's just gone through a renovation. Kentucky did a really nice renovation. Mississippi State, obviously, in this state, did an expansion, and it looks really nice. I mean, Behind, I think that I think what they've done to um, to Mississippi State Stadium, hey Dad, is spectacular. I mean, just looks at least well, really inside and outside. You know, they kind of dressed up the west side on the outside. Did the oh goodness, it's the north end zone that they did the complete bowling yeah. in and expansion to, right? Right, right, and. It, it it's really I mean it all ties together beautifully and it has yeah, created it, even more of a home field advantage yeah and there's still some work to be done there for, for sure but uh that said it, it definitely it looks good from the inside I think it looks fantastic from the outside that's where they, they've really they've really done the best job in my opinion and you know when you look at Vaughn Hemingway Stadium and the, the way that it sits I mean there's no question that the south end zone is the best looking part of the stadium both from the inside and the outside. And if you tore down, and and you'd probably have to do it in phases, if you tore down the east side and then kind of matched it to what the south end zone looks like and then tore down the west side and did the exact same thing, you could come away with a stadium that looks pretty good and has got continuity kind of all the way around versus like the hodgepodge erector set that it is right now. Yeah, and with adding the most important aspect of stadium projects moving forward, we've talked about them at length, is um, not expanding but making it more comfortable and, and adding more amenities and more clubs and more special sections to get people to continue giving money and showing up to your games. Because if you just if they just expanded and just built a bunch of metal bleachers on cement backing where you're still baking in the sun and they added 10,000 more seats, that's not accomplishing anything. Yeah. You know the you, you might have the ability to create more of a home field advantage as well. With with the way that it's constructed right now, e- even when it's full, it is not an intimidating environment in terms of noise. I mean, when it's completely full, it can be a hard place for an opponent to play, but so much of the sound just kind of gets out because it's open like in in every direction especially in the corners and you don't have anything up higher than the video board on the the north end of the stadium so 
that's all obviously a long way down the road uh, as well. So we'll see where that goes. Um, it's fascinating that out of everything that covered, that's probably the part of the conversation that will grab people's attention the most, though. Uh, people kind of dig a football stadium expansion. Oh, yeah. I, I think in a past life, I was an architect. I, I love just looking at stadium architecture and different stadiums, so this kind of thing excites me. No. College Football Fix is coming your way next. We talked briefly with Keith about the uh, the letter that's coming from the five Power Five conferences and has been sent to Congress. We'll talk about the contents of that coming up in uh, in just a little while for the College Football Fix. We've also got team number 99 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days to get to with you in the 5 o'clock hour. We will be right back. Back to you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Final hour with you on this Friday, the 29th of May, what would have been day number one of NCAA regional baseball play. We're glad to have you along. Welcome to the weekend. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395 is the number. Again, it's 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash business. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't forget, good savings happening. If you've not been to your local Mississippi Ford dealer lately, give them a visit. Great stuff going on. Savings on the full line of Ford vehicles. You can also check them out online at buyfordnow.com. A letter dated May 23rd, so this was actually sent six days ago, and the heading of the letter. So the the letterhead has the Big Ten logo, the SEC logo, the Big 12 logo, the Pac-12 logo, and the Atlantic Coast Conference logo, the ACC. And it is addressed to the Honorable Nancy Pelosi, the Honorable Mitch McConnell, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy, the Honorable Charles Schumer. Dear Speaker Pelosi, Leader McConnell, Leader McCarthy, and Leader Schumer. On behalf of our 65 member institutions, we are grateful for your leadership and diligence in the current crisis facing our nation. We realize as the country moves through the peak of the pandemic, Congress will begin to reintegrate other business into its calendar. We would like to offer you our perspective on a timely issue that is appropriately before you and your colleagues, enabling college student-athletes to be paid for licensing their name, image, and likenesses. The members of the Autonomy Five conferences support legislation providing a single national standard for NIL that would protect student-athletes, provide economic opportunity, and promote academics 
This letter ensures you hear directly from us. Now, it's a three-page letter, and I'm certainly not going to read all of it to you. It is signed by John Swafford from the ACC, Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12, Greg Sankey from the SEC, Kevin Warren from the Big 10, and Larry Scott from the Pac-12. So, before we dive in, and, and there's kind of a kind of a summary page at the uh, the end of the letter. What does this say to you, though? The five autonomy five conferences all coming together and reaching out to Congress to say we need your help and we all support you doing something at the national level versus having individual states doing their thing. You ready for a galaxy brain take here? I think this is step one in posturing to break away from the NCAA. Because this is going directly over the head of Mark Emmert and the NCAA. Okay. I I don't know if I'd go that far, and I'm not saying I disagree, but like my initial thought was it's almost like telling the bartender to cut him off. Like, please don't give that guy any more shots. He's going to royally screw this up. Yeah. Sounds like they have zero faith in them to get this done competently. And that's why I think that. They have yeah, you mean, no faith, no confidence. They don't want the NCAA touching this, so they're going to Congress themselves. That tells me that there is a united front and a lack of confidence in NCAA leadership, which will ultimately lead to them breaking off. Oh, How yeah. little I faith. Even, I just didn't go as far to the breaking off. Like I, I hadn't thought about it at that step yet, but yeah, it seems, seems pretty How- how little faith do they have in the NCAA that they're going to ask the federal government to do something? <laughs> That's a good point. It's a great point. Well played. I mean, that is like... That, that's really bad. That is really bad. I can't even come up with an analogy. I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Here's the summary. They label it Consensus Principles on Name Image Likeness, NIL. Preclude patchwork to enact a single national standard to protect student-athletes on this issue, eliminating divergent state-by-state rules that could disadvantage certain students and states. Protect student-athletes from unscrupulous actors through implementation of appropriate standards and safeguards. Prohibit pay-for-play to maintain the amateur nature of college sports by precluding colleges and universities from paying student-athletes to play sports either directly or indirectly through NIL licenses entered into with their institutional sponsors and material athletic program boosters. Promote academics to promote academics and minimize encroachment of NIL into the initial recruiting period by requiring one term of academic progress before collegians can agree to NIL licenses. Let's stop there for a second. Does that help keep the NIL as a recruiting inducement from being as egregious if nobody can get paid their first semester on campus? I would think so. It should help it allows curb you to, it some. It, it allows you to like see these players. I mean, 
how many four and five star kids bust out? You know, every year. It, it would if you're a business owner and you're thinking you want to get involved in this. You, at least find out if you're going to get a little return on your investment. It makes more sense to invest in players than recruits for, from a business perspective. Now, that's not to say there won't be some people who do it anyway and try to circumvent that rule, but I, I think it'll, it will It can't hurt, I would say that. We get a question that's, on the text. Um, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, I was just going to say that's that's detrimental to football and other fall sports, but doesn't affect spring sport athletes. So football players can't get paid in the first year they're playing ball, at least not until after the season is over. But baseball players can. So do you set it up where it's... Go ahead. Do you have to set it up then where it's you have to play... The first semester that you played, you have to have gone through one athletic year. That might be the case. I don't know. Or if maybe they're just being transparent and openly admitting that the likelihood of bad actors uh, getting involved in a baseball yeah. player's endorsement is unlikely. It's less. It's less, yeah. Well, but I mean, you've only got a month of the basketball season before the change of the semester. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. But. It, I feel like they could figure that out a little easier. Okay. Preserve collegiate recruiting. This is interesting. To protect the integrity of recruiting rules by prohibiting the use of name, image, likeness as an inducement to enroll or remain enrolled at a specific university or college. And that'll probably happen below board anyway, but at least that's removing like Alabama in recruiting graphics or whatever saying... Our players got five million dollars last year. It just it eliminates <laughs> that. Provide safe harbor to provide safe harbor under federal law to implement and enforce NIL rules while maintaining the amateur nature inherent to the appeal of college athletics. Okay. Preserve standards to permit universities to preserve their you standards. You reached the point where you couldn't even say it. That's funny. Couldn't say what. Where well, you're just like, probably the preserve the amateur. Okay, that's I've had enough of that. Yeah. Permit universities to preserve their standards and policies by prohibiting NIL agreements with advertising categories inconsistent with higher education, examples tobacco, alcohol, and gaming. Implement NIL rules with a full appreciation and recognition of the diversity of our student-athletes and to ensure protection of gains made under Title IX. That's under the Provide Opportunity Consensus Principle. And then finally, Promote Compliance. Utilize transparency to help prevent corruption at the collegiate model, of the collegiate model. Public disclosure and disclosures of representation to universities. I think most of that probably makes sense on the surface. I mean, you might nitpick yeah. certain parts of it. It took the commissioners of the five autonomy five conferences to come up with that document. The NCAA would have treated it like a football bat. They would have bungled it beyond recognition. Looks like Henry's guy had a... Uh, 
Had a busy week. Common sense guy? So, we all kind of agreed that there was a significant amount of common sense that was in the letter from the five commissioners of the Autonomy Five schools. And now how about a little bit of common sense from the Southeastern Conference? This would have been the week that they had their um, spring meetings in Destin. This year, those were virtual meetings, which is not nearly as much fun as being on the beach and watching Paul Feinbaum bake in the sun on the set of, you know, where he does his TV show. Have you guys seen that before? Where he, he's doing his show from the beach in Destin and like still wear Never mind. Nope, nobody's engaging on this. It's kind of amusing. Anyway. Wait, what do you mean still wears what? Sunscreen on his head? No, that's the only thing that he's missing. is like a big old rub down of zinc on his head and his nose. But no, he still like wears his long sleeve button-up dress shirts, but then he just rolls the sleeves up above his elbows and... Put on a golf shirt, man. What's wrong with you? He's going casual. He's at the beach. Yeah. As casual as it gets, I suppose. If we ever do a, a show at the beach, me and Haydad got Speedos ready. Boom. Banana hammocks. Let's Hello, banana hammock. So uh, we, we were right about something here. The NFL has just announced they will not allow Dave Portnoy to watch the game with Roger Goodell after he, this is fantastic, he failed a background check by the league. They needed a background check to know that he got arrested by the league a few years back. So, where is this? Out. I'm not seeing this anywhere. I've got to sports read this. Bu- sports Business Journal. Oh my mm. gosh! Wow, that's so terrible. What are they going to do about the money? Uh, they said, "Let me see here." The NFL will instead donate a quarter million dollars equally to the six charities it was supporting, and will select a deserving frontline worker from the pandemic for the experience. No, no okay, word not- if that will be uh, David Fortnoy or something like that. With a fake mustache on. I hope they like. I hope Portnoy can trick him into like selecting Hank. But I, not to toot my own horn, but didn't I, I kind of called this? They were going to. Yeah. I mean, this was not not some huge take, but you knew they were going to come up with some sort of loophole. There was no failed way on earth he was ever going to be allowed in that room. Never. Yeah, failed background check is very on brand Goodell. Yeah. I mean, that fairness, was, uh, they have, what, arrested him twice at NFL facilities? I mean, there was an 11, 2011 idea, incident where he posted a nude photo of Tom Brady's then two-year-old son. Oh, what? yeah, I forgot uh, yeah, about that, that. That was actually bad. Okay, I, I, what did he do? I'm not a big barstool guy, so I, I did not know that that had happened. But, again, he do they what? need a background check to know that? Uh, he... Brady posted a photo of his son on the beach, and I don't know what the exact context was, but I think Dave wrote a blog that like the two, like that his son was attractive hung or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was wildly Maybe trying to come up with the right word. There was priceless. I mean, it was wildly inappropriate, but it, it, Dave kind of doubled down on it for a while, and like that was one of the first controversies that really like launched them into the kind of problematic mainstream mm. I would have gone endowed personally Rippy that's just me I, I, yeah. I think that's the word he was looking for yeah yeah just took me a second <laughs> <laughs> 
And where you arrived was where you arrived. Um, yeah. It all worked out. So, yeah, jump cut here. It started out by saying the uh, people at the SEC used their brain on this. During the final Sorry. day of their virtual spring meetings, SEC presidents and chancellors approved a proposal to ease a restriction that required grad transfers to enroll in graduate school at their new school. The new legislation, which was an amendment to a bylaw, blah, 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 allows grad transfers to pursue a second undergraduate degree. The SEC's decision aligns its policy with that of the NCAA, which made the change to its graduate transfer legislation in April. The previous policy, it says, steered an athlete's education down a path that they may not have preferred. With greater enrollment options now, athletes are free to pursue a second major in the same way he or she could have done at their previous school. Admission standards at grad programs can be stringent and often complicated. This new legislation will reduce tensions created between athletics and academic departments. The proposal was put forth by administrators at Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. Graduate programs can be two- and three-year endeavors that few athletes complete. The two-year degree completion rate for grad transfers in football was 31%. It's almost like guys weren't actually transferring to get a master's degree somewhere else, but they were forced into trying to get a master's degree somewhere else so that they could continue their secondary pursuit of enjoying the life of being a student athlete. I mean, how oblivious could they have possibly been? I would love to be a fly on the wall in their meetings just to laugh at how... I mean, how could they honestly think that that was going to be what this was used for? How did they think that? How did they sit in a room and decide... Yeah, we need to do this because we have so many wonderful students, just wonderful students that really want to go get a master's degree, but their school doesn't offer it. So we have to give them an alternative option. Nobody's going to abuse this, though. No, we, this is just for our star students. So, so Jeremiah Masoli is not a park ranger is what you're telling me? <laughs> He might be. He could be. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> He's still a backup in the CFL. They've got busy really? up there. He deserves whatever job he gets after playing behind that offensive line for a year. <laughs> it's not often you can say a guy carried a team to 4-8. and eight. He carried that team to 4-8. and eight. They would have been 0-12 without him. He Probably should have won 5 or 6, too. Like that he, could, he could, he could have been a, a bowl team. That was the year that they got... They were almost bowl eligible heading into the Egg Bowl. They almost beat a pretty good LSU team down there. But the, what was that? The Summers kid had the, the excessive celebration that cost him. Do you remember this in Baton Rouge? Flipped into the end zone, right? Yeah. What was Did his they pull name? a touchdown off the board? Markeith? Yeah, they pulled the touchdown yeah. off the board. I thought they didn't pull it off the board. I thought it just allowed LSU to start at the 50 or whatever. And like it essentially. That would have been 2010, right? Yeah. yeah. Markeith Summers, wasn't that his name? I, I, I'll tell you when it. That was Andy Kennedy's first year at Ole Miss, right? What? Absolutely no, no. not. Yeah, no. AK's first year was like 06 or 07. It was one of, it was Billy uh, Donovan's first title team because he met them in Saturday 
at the SEC tournament with like a chance to actually take a pretty dumpy team to the NCAA tournament and they got crushed. Huh. I remember that because I was there and there was a lady behind me screaming for Joaquin Noah and I think she meant Joe Kim. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was and another we year get... where Ole Miss blew a lead in Baton Rouge in a uh, in a football game where they were not as good as LSU but played hard for a while. You're thinking of Ed's one of Ed's teams and they had some kicking issues if I'm not mistaking. I was like, oh, so that would have been like, which yes, was... that's it, 2006. Who's yeah, playing quarterback on the ropes at that point in that game? Yeah, I, I remember this, and it, going back to my point, was Andy Kennedy's first year at Ole Miss because I was traveling with the Ole Miss basketball team. They were playing in a tournament in Hartford, Connecticut, and had played an early game that afternoon. And I went to some sports bar to uh, watch the football game. Suffice it to say, I was the only person that was really all that intrigued with that game period, and certainly the only uh, guy that was openly pulling for Ole Miss to do well in that game in Hartford, Connecticut after dark on a Saturday night in November. <laughs> it was... I know we're bouncing around, but Mr. Portnoy has released a statement accusing Mr. Goodell of hating charity and hating kids. <laughs> and also being a coward. <laughs> so this, this battle has <laughs> just begun. Emergency. Pre- he, he's doing it in a swimsuit by the pool. No shirt needed. What? What a time to be alive. see a boat in the background. I don't even think that's a pool. I think it's like the Intracoastal Waterway or somewhere. It's somewhere. I'll gladly tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm sure he uh, he would. Uh, so anyway, this all makes sense, right? So you get a Jeremiah Masoli reference, a Hartford, Connecticut reference, an Andy Kennedy reference, a Dave Portnoy reference, a Marquis Summers Goodell reference. reference. Markeith Summers, of course, it was Haydad who pulled that name out of thin air. I got and, the last name. I couldn't remember his first. Yeah. Were there any other Sorry references? Sorry for keeping up with recruiting, guys. My bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking about yeah. Alan Walker when we come back from the break. Who? Exactly. Of course, you know that name. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Let's see. We still need to do uh, 100 teams in 100 days. Now, is, is East Carolina? we, we got to do a little bit on them, don't we? Let's do it. Team number 99 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. It is. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Just felt like it would have been really bad form to be two days into the official countdown of 100 teams in 100 days and then go, nah, not really interested in you. East Carolina! 
Uh-oh. They got to play a week earlier than everybody else. They're trying to get the season going on 29 August at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium against the Marshall Thundering Herd. East Carolina, if uh, memory, uh, memory serves me correctly, was not a uh, particularly good football team last year. They uh, they went 4-8. and eight. Their wins came against Gardner-Webb, Bill and Mary, sorry, William and Mary, Old Dominion, and they beat UConn. Mm. Wonder what the bonuses were that day. That's they did didn't stop Randy Edsel from racking up about fifty grand that day though. Yeah, but say he was two hundred K richer no matter the score. Man, had a tough loss at SMU on November 9th. Lost that one fifty nine fifty one. Played Cincinnati close as well. They, I think, guys, I really think as the season went along, East Carolina got a little bit better each Woo! week. Yes, they did. They were still they recovering played from Arkansas. losing Minshew a couple years ago. Yeah. Did he ever actually so, play there? Like on yeah. the field? I believe so. He did. He did. I still can't uh, believe they were able to... This is kind of crazy to, to say this, but that they were able to hire the coach that they did. Mike so, Houston? Yeah, from James Madison. And you... Uh, James Madison's been good for a few years now, competing for, mm-hmm. for championships. I'm, I was just surprised, and I'm still surprised they were able to do that, because wouldn't you think a bigger job may have come along for somebody like him winning titles, albeit at a lower level? It worked out um, for Chris Kleiman. I mean, he got a, a bigger job than East Carolina at Kansas State. I'm surprised that he wouldn't have held out for something bigger, but D1's D1, I guess. Marshall in week zero. Then they got an open date and will take on South Carolina in Columbia on uh, September 12th. Uh, got Norfolk State, UCF, Georgia State, USF, Navy, Tulsa, Tulane, Cincinnati, Temple, SMU. And uh, if they advance far enough, the American Athletic Conference Championship game on 5 December. And so, Brian Haydad. Who are the most famous alums from East Carolina University? I'll tell you, one and two are really good. Three is, I, I, I don't know, James Maynard, the founder of Golden Corral, would be number three. I mean, by extension, the founder of the Chocolate Wonderfall. That's a beautiful thing. But Sandra Bullock and Vince McMahon, are, are that's a pretty strong one-two punch there. Okay. Wow. Who's more famous? The Chocolate Vince Wonderfall McMahon. guy. Yeah, Chocolate, Chocolate Wonderfall might be the answer. But uh, I'm going to go with Vince McMahon. And Linda McMahon also went to school there. Of course, you know, she's a, uh, uh, she's a, what, the administrator of the Small Business Administration now, which is a little redundant. And, of course, the, you know, used to be the CEO of WWE. So McMahon was born in Pinehurst. Does he play golf? Guy based that rich what has I to know, play golf, right? No, based on what I know of Vince McMahon, I, don't, I bet he's, he doesn't play golf at all. I know that Sandra Bullock, born, Bullock was twice the most highest paid, uh, the uh, highest paid actress in the world. I can believe that. Yeah, 2010 and 2014. I'm not 100% sure that I'm uh, on board with uh, Vince McMahon's more famous than Sandra Bullock. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you, but you know, you're welcome to. Well, to your, uh... Of course you are. 
course. I'm just saying, everybody knows who, even people who don't like wrestling know who Vince McMahon is. The I've sports... never watched wrestling and I know Vince McMahon. Right. I'm actually, yeah. I was about to say something that was going to make people erupt, but. I have a feeling sure. that the people that have seen a Sandra Bullock movie is a greater number than the people that know who the head of WWE is. What other? Okay. Cause she, I, I mean, she's mass appeal, man. Who hasn't seen a Sandra Bullock movie? What Hugh Freeze joke are you trying to make, Rippy? I'm not trying to make a Hugh Freeze joke. Those already kind of came and went through my head, and neither one of them were worth uh, pulling the trigger on. Okay. But... <laughs> Other than the blind side, I'm trying to think of Sandra Bullock movies. Uh, she's in Speed. Speed. That's not really I a Sandra Bullock movie, but Miss Congeniality. I know what Speed is, but not familiar yeah. with the movie. I. What Do you need Sandra time Bullock's to kill? IMDb page? Time to Kill, which is of course a Mississippi movie. Ocean's Eight, Bird Box, Blind Side, Crash, Gravity, Minions, Time to Kill. Miscongeniality, the heat, got a, the proposal, while you were sleeping, speed two, two weeks notice. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's a good on question. On and Who's on and on. The, uh, the creator of Dawson's Creek, also an East Carolina grad. Never watched that. They have four Pulitzer Prize winners, too. Where's That's their journal department getting uh, getting some respect? Kind of scrolling through and uh, kind of, uh, I think you kind of got it yeah. <laughs> in terms of famous alums. Yeah. Vince I mean, McMahon, Sandra Bortz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, Kay Yow went to East Carolina. Yeah, but that's sports. But so. that falls into sports. I'm with you. Yeah. Hal Baird, former Auburn baseball coach, longtime Auburn baseball hmm. coach. He was. was indeed. So East Carolina, team number 99. More or less than four wins, which they had last year. Without seeing the schedule, more. Five-win team this year? They get to uh, they get into a bowl game. They, I'm, I'm giving them six. They'll be in a bowl game. How does ECU and Marshall land a Week Zero game? I believe... I could be wrong. I think that has something to do with the like the anniversary of the plane crash, and they're they're doing like some sort of special game, some sort of for, thing for that. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, but I it's think in I Greenville read that, though. Well, then never mind. Like I said, I could be wrong, and evidently I am. <laughs> Apparently, you are. Yeah. Um, November fourteenth uh, is the day the plane crashed. I mean, they had they had a uh, Colorado State and. Like some UCLA a couple years ago or something as a as a week zero game could be a no, small they can't all be winners TV game uh, yeah let's see C Spire text wondering. line tells us that the current CEO of Golden Corral is a Mississippi State grad there you go probably came up with that incredible chocolate wonderfall idea how is Golden Corral not the official corporate buffet of Mississippi State Athletics. There's not even one in Starkville. Yeah. There's not a Golden still. Corral in Starkville? No. <laughs> is that the most mind-boggling there, thing you've heard today, There, there is no low-rent buffet restaurant in Starkville anymore. There used to be, a, you know, Barn Hills and Orion's and a Quincy, none of the, all that's gone. Not even, like, a good, like, Chinese buffet? Oh, Chinese, yes, for sure. 
That's buffet. China Garden for the win. You were talking about the all-American buffet style, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. You know, Oxford doesn't have uh, have that in terms of a chain, like run-of-the-mill buffet. Mm-hmm. But there is a place called Chow Time, which I think is a buffet. It's by my house. That's the one by Larson's, right? No. It's on Jackson oh. Avenue. Well, you discovered one I don't know. When I was a pledge, I had to eat two meals at Chow Time, like, consecutively without leaving the place. I was there for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Did they ask you to leave? No. No, they didn't. How do did you, you have to pay? Did you have to pay a second time? A um, they did ask us to pay a second time, yes. As well they should. Yeah. Did you get your money's worth? Of course. That was when uh, the freshman 15 turned into the sophomore 50. It's better eating than eating like a log of Copenhagen or something. Or a whole can of of Pringles in seven bites. That's worse, I can promise you that. (laughs) Casey in Cenotopia says, Ha, low-rent buffet in Starkville. Beautiful, hey, Dad? We'll figure out what we learned this week. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.